aware when I share anything from the platform that anything I share with you, I have had to put it into practice first, okay? Jesus gave the Pharisees a row for telling other people to do things that they weren't doing themselves, okay? So anytime I share something from the platform, believe you me, I have been tested in it first, and uh, I've had to put things into practice. Um, So let's read Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through to 17. Hopefully my throat will keep up today. It's a bit dry today. Okay, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I don't know what effect that has on you when you read those words. I listen to Jesus' words here, and I think these are really serious words. These are heavy. Um, And uh, Jesus was instructing people as in how we should relate when there are problems and issues between us, how we should solve those problems. And I really want to focus on the first part of that. The first part of that is about going to your brother. And if there is something that you need to get off your chest, if it's something you need to share, then it's something that we need to do personally one-on-one. And that's the part that I want to focus on this morning. Today is going to be the theory. Next week will be the practice, okay? Because as I was writing all this down, I thought, wow, it's just rocketed into two sermons without hardly even thinking about it. Um, so next week, next week we'll be on the same subject, but it will be much more uh, practical in nature. There's no point in saying this is what we should do without actually explaining how we should do it. Would you agree? Good. Most of us agree. I think today this subject that we talk about is probably one of the most difficult thing, things to put into practice in every sphere of life, whether you a follower of Jesus or not. This is one of the most difficult things to put into practice. I also feel that it's something that the Holy Spirit has been laying on my heart for a while. And uh, I'm going to share on this subject for that reason. You know, one of life's greatest revelations to me many, many years ago was that people talk That was a revelation to me. People talk. I know that we converse all the time. We we talk to each other. But people talk sometimes about other people and not necessarily in a positive way. And that's the revelation that I'm talking about. People talk. I learned that people talked about me rather than talking to me. That was a revelation. That really was. And I don't know why it was such a revelation, because I actually realized as God started to show me these things that actually I did the exact same thing. I talked about other people and not necessarily in a positive way. And the Holy Spirit had to begin to show me how to deal with those things. You see, it's okay to talk about people if you're saying nice things, but we know the difference between talking about people and talking about people. It's like, See that guy over there? You'll never guess what he did, okay? That kind of thing. 
the, the reason that I share this is because it's so easy to trip up in this area of life, and it affects us all. Believe you me, it affects us all. I've been on the planet for 50 years now. I've been in church all my life, and I've seen how this pans out all the time. And I, I just wanted us to think about some verses that the Bible has to share about words just before we, we get into this subject. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says this, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Hard thing to do sometimes, hold your tongue. Job chapter 1, verse 22, you know the story of Job, how he's going through a trial, and he's lost almost everything in life. And it says, In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I love this one. Proverbs 17, verse 28. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent. How do you like that? And discerning if he holds his tongue. Even a fool can look wise if you just keep it shut. It's a challenge to keep it shut. Proverbs 10 and 21 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many. Proverbs 21, 23 He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. James chapter 1, we're into the New Testament now. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And later on in James, it says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man. Never at fault in what he says. Is there any perfect people in here today? Just checking. Just checking. We're all imperfect, and we all are challenged in this area of the words that we use, when we use them, and how we use them. It says there, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, Perfect man. Incredible words. And I want to think about two areas of how we use words to, just as we're getting into this. And the first thing is the spoken word. It says here in James, we read it out, that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. You know, I keep saying this to the kids in the school and the kids and treasure kids. How many ears has God given us? He's given us two ears. How many mouths has God given us? He's given us one mouth. Therefore, it's twice as important to listen as it is to speak. I wish I had 10 pounds for every time I'd said that in a, an assembly or something like that. And it's just as relevant in church life as well. Sorry, we're just having a wee pause there. Did you like that, Ariston? <laughs> that was a convenient point to catch my notes. You know, it's twice as important to listen as it is to speak. Um, sometimes, maybe this is more applicable to the guys, sometimes we don't speak when somebody's wanting us to speak. Are you okay? What's wrong with you? Are you all right? I'm fine. But tell me what's up. Tell me what's wrong with you. I'm fine. <laughs> because we like to drink into our space sometimes. And sometimes we need a bit of space for silence as well. 
and uh, people tend to talk when they're ready to talk. The problem with words is that once they leave our mouth, we can't take them back. We can try as hard as we like, but we can't take them back. And if we do try to take them back, rest assured, we will get indigestion. (laughs) Words have energy. And in a very real way, they are energy. And you know that energy, once it's spent, it's spent, it takes a different form. Our words have the power to bring life, but they also have the power to bring death. What are our words creating in other people? And the people in your immediate network, your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, the church, what are your words producing? The first one, uh, well, I was, I was wanting to think about uh, the spoken word, um, but I also want to think about the written word. And uh, do you remember the process of writing letters? Does anybody still write letters? Some people still write letters, so that's cool. Um, there's a bit of a process to it. It's much slower when you write letters. It involves actually writing by hand. You take a pen and you write down things. And then you put that in an envelope and you put your address on the envelope and you stamp it. And then you need to walk to the post office if you're healthy. And uh, you need to actually take that opportunity to pop your letter through the post box. And if you think about it, it all takes a bit more time, doesn't it? It takes a bit longer to do. There are plenty of places to pause in that process if you think, should I be sending this letter? Or should I be going and speaking to this person? There are enough places to pause so that you can stop and go, actually, I don't know that this is a good idea. I think what I'll go and do is speak to that person. And even when it's encouraging, I'll tell you a story. I don't know, I think I may have shared this story in church before. Uh, I'm not sure. I remember writing a letter to somebody and that letter was not well received. It was written to a person, not about a person, and it was from a good heart and a motivation. And the purpose of the letter was to encourage, to encourage to faith. And I uh, quickly found out that that letter, when it was received, was not received well. And I remember being shocked by the response. I couldn't understand the response. And it made me really think about the things that we say and how we say them. That was, if you had to, if I still had this letter, I would dig it out and reread it. But it was on an old computer and it's gone. But the effects of those words haven't gone. And the effect of the reaction hasn't gone because I still remember it. Things which were written down with good intentions, written to encourage, but it was received badly. And it made me think about how we communicate. I learned a major lesson that day. Even though my purpose and heart and intention was to be encouraging, I learned a big lesson about how to communicate that day. Even in letter writing with the pauses. Okay, I typed it on a computer, but I still had to do all the other things. Unlike today, where we would perhaps post something on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat for you young guys over in the corner there. Whatever choice of social media you use, like, comment, click, send, it's all done in an instant. 
And sometimes you can have done something, you can have written something, and before you have the chance to take it back, it's gone, and it can be shared, and it can be liked, and it can be seen by so many people. And I think about the recent story, if you watch I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, there was a young chap on that called Jack Maynard who wrote some things on social media uh, a number of years before he was on the, the TV program, and it caught up with him. He had already deleted those comments, but they had got out into the public domain, and they caught up with him, and he had to leave the show because of the things which he had written when he was much younger and a lot less wise. Can I encourage us to think about what we post? Can I encourage us to think about what we text and what we email? It's so easy to click send. There's no gaps and there's no pauses in the process, especially if something's done in the heat of the moment. Even ordinary emails sometimes these days, I'll write it out and I'll close it down and I'll save it and I'll come back to it the next day so that I can reread it to make sure that there's nothing stupid in it. Um, and take the, the typos out, the spelling mistakes, the, the computer sorts all that out, but the content. And then there's this little trap that we sometimes get into, whether it's using the spoken word or the written word. Should I switch this off? Is it really, is it this thing that's causing the crackle? Um, don't be tempted into the trap of saying, it's nothing I wouldn't say to her face or to his face. Don't be tempted into that trap. Because even though you might say it to somebody's face, it doesn't give you necessarily the excuse to be talking to other people about it. Because it can be a careless use of our words. We should be aware all the time of our motivation. And how many times have you heard a juicy bit of prayer request, prayer information, a juicy bit of prayer information? What's the, the actual word that I'm omitting there? A juicy bit of gossip, eh? And it can be disguised in all sorts of ways. And we can find ourselves sharing things that we would be better not sharing. And we need to bear in mind that the walls have ears. I learned this a long time ago. Why? Because people talk. People talk. I still find this an incredible thing, that people talk. But more importantly, we need to remember that God hears, and he hears everything. He hears our hearts. He hears our thoughts, our secret motivations, all the stuff that might even be veiled in a conversation that you and I have face to face. There is often other things further down than that that we don't share. And we would do well to remember that there will come a day when all of us will stand before the creator of the world and we will stand alone and listen to what Jesus said. I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Every careless word I know that I have said things which were careless and I have had to ask God for forgiveness for those things. Every careless word. For by your words, he goes on to say, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. 
a little word to husbands and wives in the church. In our relationship as a married couple, we are free to speak openly, but not about anyone or anything. As a leader in the church, if somebody comes to me and says, I need to share something with you in confidence, unless there is a good reason for me not to, that will be kept in confidence. And when I say a good reason, I mean there's not some legal reason I can't share it, or there's not a reason that's going to cause harm either to you or to somebody else if I don't share it. There are things which people have told Mary which have never reached my ears because in our relationship, it's not a place for us to talk about everything that's happening in each other's lives. There are areas which are private. There are areas where confidences need to be kept. And so in our relationships as husbands and wives, we need to be careful that they don't become a hotbed for gossip. Now, some people may disagree with me on this, but I think one flesh does not mean automatic rights to everything, access all areas. The Bible says that a man and woman come together, the two become one flesh, and there is much in that, and we should maybe teach in that sometime. Um, there's an intimacy in the marriage relationship, but there are some things which need to stay off limits. If somebody has shared something with you in confidence, then you need to keep that confidence. And I think these things are very, very important. If you share something with me in confidence, you can expect that confidence to be kept, unless I think you're breaking the law, in which case I'm going to have to do something about it, or you're going to cause harm to yourself or to somebody else, in which case you'll be halfway through saying what you're saying, and I'll say, by the way, I don't know if I can keep a confidence in this situation. And many times when people have come to me, we've been in mid-flow in conversation, I'll say, you know what? I don't think you should be coming and speaking to me about that. You need to be going speaking to such and such about that, not me, because that's between you and that person. You know, Jesus takes these things very seriously. In Matthew 5, 21 to 26, he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. My goodness. Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. He's getting to the core of who we are inside. He's saying even if we're angry with our brother, we are in danger of being subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And that word that's used there uh, essentially is talking about being empty-headed, worthless, useless. Anybody who calls his brother worthless, useless, useless, empty-headed is answerable to the Sanhedrin. It was a, a term of, uh, a very strong term of disrespect in Jewish culture. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. These are serious words. He's talking about how we address each other. These are serious words. And I'm sorry to kind of be like, like I'm, I'm trying to hold it up myself here. It is, it's heavy stuff. They're stern words. But Jesus isn't just concerned about our outward appearance or the outward appearance of our relationships or things. He is concerned with what is at the heart, what's at the root, what's at the base motivation of who we are as human beings. The direction of our heart will be the direction of our thoughts. 
And the direction of our thoughts will be the direction of our will. And the direction of our will will inform our words and our actions. What's at the very heart of us? Untended hearts lead to sin, just as untended gardens lead to weeds. He goes on to say, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, uh, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. I think Jesus goes on to say that your duty to your brother or your sister in this type of situation eclipses your religious duties, your religious observance. These things are second place to your relationships with others. We had, not last week, but the week before, primary fours from Whitdale in the church, and they'd been studying symbolism in the, in the Christian church as well as in other religions, and they wanted to come up and visit a church. And I was like, well, you're coming to the wrong church because we're not exactly rich in symbolism. Um, but we did go through some of the things that we do as a church. But what I said to the boys and girls is that the church is just a building. What is important is the relationships that we have, our relationship with God and our relationship with others. That is what is most important. And hopefully the young people grasped something, they understood something, I hope, that religion isn't about forms and rituals and singing songs and having communion and all these types of things. These are things that we do. These are our practices. What is important is our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Jesus summed up all the commandments, 633, I think, by saying the most important is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love others as yourself. So we're urged to speak truthfully. But speaking truthfully doesn't mean saying everything just because it's true. Gentlemen, when your lady, your good lady asks if her hair is nice today, even if you don't think it's nice, what do you say? (laughs) You've just got to say yes to her, exactly. Um, There's there's a way to share things, um, and there's a way not to share things. Everything needs to be tempered with wisdom and with grace. Just because it's true doesn't mean you should say it. The Bible does say, therefore, uh, in Ephesians 4, uh, 24 to 27, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Why is this so important? There's the answer. Don't give the devil a foothold. What's most important is our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. And if we allow these things to creep in, it gives the devil a foothold. There's a great need for people in this day and age to be authentic and to be real, and to be honest, and to be true. And uh, if you've been watching the news at all this week, you'll be as disappointed as I am to hear some of the headlines about people who are in positions of leadership in charities, and the abuse 
of their positions of power. And there's an area of speaking truth into these situations. You see what happens in an organization when truth is covered up. This is what happens because the purpose of our charity regulator here in Scotland is to ensure, their mission statement is to ensure that the public have confidence in charities. People like ourselves, we are a charity as well. People need to have confidence in charities. Therefore, leaders need to be living right. People who are running charities need to be accountable. And situations which arise need to be spoken into with truth and honesty. And things sometimes need to be dealt with. There's no point in trying to hide things. And we'll come on to that in in just a little second. These things cause people in general life to just lose trust. And the one thing that I don't want people to lose trust in is God. I would rather stick my hand up and say, this is my fault. Don't blame God for this. It's nothing to do with him. This is my mistake. Don't blame God for it. Whatever that mistake might be. And I encourage us, and uh, I'm going to kind of try and draw things to a close today, to face up to situations, to face up to these. Let me say before moving on, though, that the Bible does say in Proverbs 12:16, a fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. And if we can truly do that, then it is wisdom indeed. Being able to overlook insults because we have probably insulted other people without even being aware of it. So it's wise if we can overlook an insult. But if we can, what are our options? If somebody has done something and it's getting under our skin, what do we do? I think there's probably three possible options. The first one is to ignore the problem. You can just ignore it. But ultimately realize that it won't go away. Problems which are ignored do not go away. They only get bigger. Instead, problems that are ignored sink into the depths of our soul. They find a place to rest and will from time to time rear their ugly head and cause problems either for you or for another person, for me or for another person. And then the challenge is to try and get to the source of that unrest. And that can be a difficult problem. Because once we let things get root in our souls, it's hard to dig them out. The problem with ignoring problems is that they don't go away. The problem with ignoring problems is that they create an artificial harmony. And artificial harmony is not unity. And I'm going to give you an example of ignoring a problem. I don't have time to read the whole story, but if you're familiar with the story of Samuel, uh, we read of a little lad who was in the temple. He served under the priest whose name was Eli, and he was awakened in the middle of the night with God speaking to him. Samuel. And so he gets up and he runs through to the priest and he says, what is it? I'm here. And the priest Eli says, well, I didn't call for you. Just go back to bed, and, and, and it happens on a number of times. And on the third time, God's trying to speak to this lad, and he says, you know, when you go back to it, if you hear the voice to say, speak now, your servant is listening. 
And then God comes and he says, Samuel, and he says, I'm here. What do you want to say? Listening to God, which we talked about a few weeks ago. And then God gives Samuel a message. He gives Samuel a message about his mentor, Eli, the priest. You see, Eli had let things slip. And God had already spoken to Eli about this, which is clear if we read this. This is what God says to Samuel, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. 1 Samuel 3.13 There was a problem in the family and these lads were trying to minister as priests and yet they weren't fit to do so. The problem is that Eli didn't address the issue with his sons. There was an artificial harmony but there was unrest and God had already spoken into that situation. And then the moment of truth comes. Eli wakes up. Samuel wakes up. And Eli calls him through and he says, come and tell me what God said to you. Could you imagine how Samuel felt? I don't know what I want to say. I think I'd rather ignore the problem and let it go away, but it's not going to go away, is it? What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. I think if I was Samuel, I'd be saying, okay, I'll tell you everything. You're not going to like it, but here it comes. So Samuel, verse 18, told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. What a powerful story. What a sad story. What an example, if ever there was an example in Scripture, of not ignoring problems because they do not go away. And God sees everything. Option one, ignore it. Option two, we can talk to other like-minded people about it and make ourselves feel better for a little while. But this doesn't resolve the problem either and perhaps entrenches us further. And again, it can lead to artificial harmony, but it can also lead to factions and divisions. Let me give you another example. I know time's running away. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And the story here is of the children of Israel uh, just before they're going to, to cross uh, the Jordan this land. Moses is still the leader at this point in time. And this is what it says, uh, Deuteronomy 1.26, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command to go into the promised land, that is, of the Lord your God. Listen to this. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to, live, to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. This is talking about the ten spies who come back with a report. Two, Caleb and Joshua said, we can do this. Ten who said, look at the size of these guys. No way can we do this. And so they listened to the ten 
and they lose heart. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there, giants in the land. You see, the story is that the spies have been sent out. They bring back a negative report. Think about the words that the spies used. Think about that and think about the effect that those words had on this whole community. Two people said, we can do this. Ten people said, look at the size of the giants. And I remember being impacted by this. We looked like grasshoppers to them. And in that moment, they became grasshoppers compared to giants. They brought back a negative report. They made us lose heart. And then they began to grumble. What were they saying? God hates us. Why has he let this happen? And they grumbled in their tents, in small groups. I remember getting into a house one time where a small group was meeting. And I didn't know it at the time, but I knew something was wrong in this group. And at that point in time, I didn't know how to understand or interpret what I was experiencing, but I knew something was wrong in this small group. And uh, it later turned out um, that what had been happening was a, a very, very unhelpful, unhealthy discussion in that small group about things that were happening in the church and a different point of view. And we ended up having uh, a lot of problems in the church um, back in the early 90s. And just this awareness that something was wrong, um, an ability to distinguish between spirits. Everybody was really nice. Everybody was really smiley. But there was something wrong, and it was the Holy Spirit causing something to happen inside. And I think about this story about Israelites grumbling in their tents, and they come together and they complain against Moses, they complain against God. God heard it all. And the result was sin, the result was rebellion against God, and the result was these people not entering into the promised land, the land that God had said he was going to take them into. I just wonder, do you think we have learned sufficiently from their mistakes? The reason these things are written down is that we might learn from their mistakes and not make the same ones. Option one, ignore the problem. Option two, chat about it in your little group. Option three, and I think this is the right one, is to confront people or situations directly. And for most of us, the word confront carries with it negative connotations, perhaps connotations of uh, aggression. And we all like to be nice, lovely Christians in the church, don't we? It's like, where's the daisies today? Where's the rainbows? It's like, happy, happy. We're all happy. We never disagree with each other. Never, ever, ever do we ever disagree with each other. We do disagree with each other. That's the reality. And if we can disagree and we can overlook an insult, well, that's fine. The Bible says that's wisdom. But if we can't, we need to acknowledge it and we need to do something about it. Because it won't 
go away. <laughs> this is ABC. And in the church, we want to be nice to people and we want to be helpful to people. And that's good. But sometimes to be nice and helpful, we need to share the truth. It won't go away. Perhaps we view confrontation negatively because for most of us, that's what we've experienced. That's what's been shown to us in the past. Perhaps we're just not very good at confrontation. Well, who knows? The best way to get better at something is to do it. (laughs) So I'm not saying go and find something to be confrontational with, okay? But if you have things that you want to come and say to me, because I've offended you, then start here, okay? And make a wee line, and if it's, you know, you can go up the aisle and round the back and back down this side, and we'll open that door, right? And we can just go through you one by one, okay? Because I know that at some point in time, I have offended you, and I have not meant to do it. Come and have a word. Come and say. Speak to somebody. Confrontation is simply taking a look at a situation with another person. It's about us both turning our faces towards the problem. You, you'll notice I'm not facing out this way. <laughs> Face the problem. It's about facing the problem. And I want to think more about how we do that next week. And when we talk about facing the problem, we need to get rid of the idea of drawing up our battle lines. It's not a face-off. It's about facing the problem. If you intend to have a face-off, then you're anticipating war. And if you anticipate war, that's most likely what you will get. But it's not about that. It's about taking the time at that moment to say, you know, let's have a wee chat about this because I'm kind of struggling and I maybe have picked you up wrong or maybe something is not quite right. And, and, and turning and facing that situation together, both looking at that situation and finding the solution. And it's something that we need to grow in. It's something that we need to get better at. All of us. I hate confrontation. I really do. I hate it. But it's something that from time to time, we just need to get alongside and say, Tim, it's me again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all a kid. I'm using Tim as an example because he's got big, broad shoulders, unlike me. (laughs) But let's take these things to heart because um, I didn't hear Stephen's message last week. But I got some of the highlights as to what we'll be sharing. I believe that God has a plan and a purpose, and I believe that the devil will try to frustrate that plan and purpose, and he will do it any way he can. And more often than not, he will get in and he will cause us to grumble in our tents and go, Woe is me, where's God? He's not turning up, this isn't happening, that's not happening. Well, maybe God's got a plan and a purpose in the process that he's taken us through in order to get to where he wants us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Musicians, please come back up.